Happy Birthday, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. Chapter 2 The Won't Brush Teeth Cure Betsy Appleby was a pretty little girl with long golden brown ponytail that came almost to her waist. Betsy's mother and father had always been extremely proud of their daughter and her sweet, ready smile. But lately, they had begun to notice that Betsy's teeth were looking rather dingy. On Saturday morning, Betsy hopped out of bed and hurried into her play clothes. The smell of cinnamon rolls came wafting up the stairs. Betsy loved cinnamon rolls and Saturdays. She always went ice skating with her friend, Ellen. She raced downstairs to the kitchen where her mother and father were eating breakfast and reading the morning paper. Betsy wolfed down a cinnamon roll and a glass of milk. Mrs. Appleby looked at Betsy lovingly. Dear, I know you're in a hurry to go ice skating with Ellen today, but don't eat so fast and you'll make yourself sick if you do. Betsy was just about out of the back door when Mr. Appleby called to her over the morning paper. Whoa, Missy, where are you going in such a hurry? And aren't you forgetting to brush your teeth? But Daddy, Ellen's waiting. Can I brush them later, please? Betsy gave her father her most winning smile. He leaned forward with a piece of toast in his hand, peering at Betsy's mouth. Wait a minute. What's that? Ugh. I think there's a kernel of corn stuck between your teeth. Mrs. Appleby winced. Betsy, really? Obviously, you did not brush your teeth last night. March upstairs and brush your teeth right now. Ellen can wait. Betsy stomped up the stairs into her bathroom, grumbling about the waste of time. She picked the corn kernel out from between her front teeth, put a smear of toothpaste on her toothbrush, made a few half-hearted swipes at her teeth, and rinsed with a tiny sip of water. The whole operation took less than 30 seconds, and when she re reappeared in the kitchen before her father had time to eat his second bite of toast, he looked at her with raised eyebrows. That was fast, he said suspiciously. Smile at me, Betsy. Betsy flashed him a grin. Well, you got the corn out at least, he sighed. All right, go ahead. Mrs. Appleby watched Betsy grab her skates off the back porch and race down the street toward Ellen's house. Then she returned to her husband, who was frowning in space. What is it, dear? she asked. I'm just wondering, said Mr. Appleby, how a child can manage to eat an entire cinnamon roll without noticing she's got corn in her teeth. Goodness, that's a disgusting thought, said Mrs. Appleby. My point exactly, replied her husband, returning to the morning paper. That evening, after dinner, Betsy was laying on the couch watching television when her mother came in to tell her that she needed to take a shower and to brush her teeth. I'll dry your hair afterwards, Mrs. Appleby promised, and then, if you like, I can read you another chapter of The Incredible Journey. Betsy loved this book. She ran up the stairs two at a time, and in no time came bounding back down, all shiny and clean, except for her teeth, which she had only dabbed with her wet finger. When Mrs. Appleby finished reading the chapter aloud, Betsy was sleepily curled up by her side. Mr. Appleby bent down to kiss his little girl. As he did so, he winced at the smell of her breath. Betsy Appleby, 
You didn't brush your teeth. Mrs. Appleby looked cross. Go and do it now. Betsy dragged herself up the stairs and into the bathroom. She picked up her toothbrush, but then she caught sight of herself in the mirror. She liked the way her freshly washed and dried hair looked all long and wavy down her back and spent a few minutes admiring the effect from different angles. Then she turned on the water and waggled her toothbrush under the stream. She stuck it back in the holder and went to her room. When her mother came in ten minutes later to tuck her in, Betsy was fast asleep. Mrs. Appleby leaned down to kiss her, but had to pull away because of the stench. Mrs. Appleby sighed. She can't have brushed her teeth, she muttered. But when she went to the bathroom to check, there was Betsy's toothbrush, still beaded with drops of water. Mrs. Appleby felt guilty for doubting her little girl, and she went downstairs with a furrowed brow. She found Mr. Appleby reading a book in the family room. Howard, said Mrs. Appleby, I'm worried about Betsy. Her breath is terrible. I've heard, you know, that hilitosis can be caused by illness. Do you suppose Betsy has some rare disease? Mr. Appleby laughed. Not unless you consider laziness a disease. She just got to start doing a better job of brushing her teeth. But Howard, said Mrs. Appleby, I don't know what else to do. I nag her and nag her. Even lecture from Dr. Pullet, the dentist, didn't help. The next morning, Betsy came happily skipping into the kitchen, where her mother was making Betsy and Mr. Appleby's favorite Sunday breakfast toast and sausage. Oh, yum! I can hardly wait. I'm starving, Betsy said as she slid into the chair next to her father. Mr. Appleby jerked away from the smell of Betsy's breath and scooted his chair toward the other end of the table. He noticed that Betsy's teeth were now slightly mossy-looking. Sesame seeds from last night's hamburger had lodged between her front teeth and along with other mysterious particles. After breakfast, Betsy's father leaned back in his chair. That was delicious, Florence. Now, Betsy, I didn't want to ruin our breakfast, but we have got to talk about your teeth. It's very obvious you haven't been brushing. Betsy sighed heavily. I know, I know, but I'm tired of doing the same old thing over and over. It's boring. So is sitting in a dentist chair, said Mr. Appleby which is where you're going to be spending your lot of your time unless you start brushing your teeth. All right, said Betsy meekly, but the night at bedtime her father nearly gagged when he gave her a goodnight kiss. Young lady, he said sternly, I detect the faintest aroma of toothpaste, but if you brushed at all, it would have been with a wet noodle. Those teeth of yours look as though they were starting to mildew, and your breath is just awful. Betsy's mother said, I wonder if it isn't that nervous stomach acting up again. You know how upset Betsy's stomach gets when she eats something that might be allergic to. The only thing our Betsy seems to be allergic to these days is brushing those moss-covered teeth of hers, said Mr. Appleby. The next morning, when Betsy came down to breakfast, her mother asked her, Betsy, did you remember to brush your teeth? 
Rolling her eyes, sighing heavily, and looking up at the kitchen ceiling, Betsy said, I guess I forgot. The look in her father's eyes made her remember in a hurry, and Betsy ran back upstairs, but later that morning, after Betsy had left for school, Mrs. Appleby checked her toothbrush and found to her dismay that it was completely dry. She sighed to herself, I'm going to call Sarah Thorngate and ask her advice. Her children have beautiful teeth. When Mrs. Thorngate answered the phone, Betsy's mother said, Oh, Sarah, I hope you can help me find a solution to my problem we're having with Betsy. I can't get her to brush her teeth. We have tried everything short of brushing them for her. And that seems foolish considering she is eight years old. Oh, I disagree completely, said Mrs. Thorngate. Jervil and I feel that the children's dental hygiene is our responsibility. We wouldn't consider letting our Rose, Jasmine, and Jervil, Jr., brush their own teeth. Betsy's mother winced. But isn't Rose almost ten years old? she asked. She was ten last March, said Mrs. Thorngate proudly, and she's never had a single cavity. Her father brushes each individual tooth fifty times every night. I see, said Mrs. Appleby. But... Won't that be impossible to continue when the children go away to college? Oops, I have to run, dear. Something is boiling over on the stove. She hung up abruptly, feeling even sadder about Betsy. Suddenly she remembered Betsy's little friend, Patsy, who had hated baths, and how Patsy's mother had told her about Mrs. Pigglewiggle and the magic ways she had of curing children's problems. Why didn't I think about that before I wasted my time talking to Sarah Thorngate? Mrs. Appleby wondered. She found Mrs. Piggle Wiggle's phone number. After a few rings, a cheerful voice answered, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle speaking. Hello, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. I'm Betsy Appleby's mother. Maybe you know my little girl. She loves playing at your house. She's always talking about your pet wag and Lightfoot and how smart they are. Mrs. Pigglewiggle said, Of course I know Betsy. She's such a sweet girl, and what a lovely smile she has. Oh, that's just it, Mrs. Pigglewiggle, said Mrs. Appleby, all in a rush. Betsy is just as sweet as ever, but her smile isn't so lovely any more. You see, she won't brush her teeth. In fact, I don't think she's brushed them in a week. She walks around with food stuck between her teeth and doesn't even seem to notice. I'm afraid her sweet smile smells rather sour these days, and I was hoping you might have a solution. Well, let me think a minute. Oh, yes, I have a fine cure for Betsy. I'm certain it will work a very in a very short time. I think lots of children at some time forget to brush their teeth, said Mrs. Pigglewiggle, laughing. Now you don't object to dogs, do you? Dogs? asked Mrs. Appleby. Yes, dogs. My dog wagged, to be specific. He's very well trained and most capable with this particular cure I have for Betsy. Now, Mrs. Appleby, don't even mention toothbrushing to Betsy for the rest of the week. Just tell her that she may take care of wag for me this weekend. Betsy can pick him up at my house after school on Friday. Mrs. Appleby said, Absolutely. I'll tell Betsy. I can't thank you enough, Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Mrs. Pigglewiggle added, 
Now, don't be surprised if Wag carries a little green satchel with him and puts it in the bathroom. Mrs. Appleby said, All right. Mr. Appleby will be delighted to have a dog this weekend. We had been talking about surprising Betsy with a dog for her birthday, but the toothbrush problem has made us doubt whether she is responsible enough to take care of a pet. Oh, I almost forgot. What does Wag like to eat? Mrs. Pigglewiggle laughed and said, Wag likes to eat most everything. He's not picky at all. Dog food, table scraps, bones, and cookies, especially cookies. That night when Betsy went upstairs to get ready for bed, she was rather surprised that neither her parents had a single word about brushing her teeth. She ran a few drops of water over her toothbrush, hung it back up, and ran downstairs to kiss her mother and father goodnight. Mr. Appleby, who had heard all about Mrs. Pigglewiggle's instructions, hugged Betsy with his head turned away from her. Mrs. Appleby only gave Betsy a quick peck on the forehead, but Betsy didn't seem to notice. The next morning, Betsy didn't even bother running water on her toothbrush. After breakfast, when Betsy had left for school, Mr. Appleby said, "'Florence, I can't hardly stand to eat at the table with my own daughter. Have you noticed the food is sticking to her teeth?' "'I'm doing my best to not to look,' said Mrs. Appleby grimly. "'Yes, well, I'm doing my best not to breathe,' said Mr. Appleby. "'Mrs. Pigglewiggle's cure had better work, "'or we're going to have to start wearing gas masks just to kiss our daughter goodnight.' "'By the end of the week, Betsy's teeth looked like they were wearing a fuzzy green sweater. "'There appeared to be raisins stuck between her two front teeth.' Her breath now smelled so awful that her mother could almost imagine she saw yellow fumes coming out of her mouth. "'Thank goodness it's Friday,' Mr. Appleby said, after Betsy left for school that morning. "'I can't take much more of this.' That afternoon, Betsy ran all the way to Mrs. Pigglewiggle's house. Mrs. Pigglewiggle and Wag were waiting for her on the front porch. In his teeth, Wag gripped a little green satchel by the handle. When Betsy stooped down to give Wag a hug, he gave a little whine, because Betsy's breath was so awful. Wag looked up at Mrs. Pigglewiggle pleadingly. Mrs. Pigglewiggle bent down and whispered in his ear, explaining to Betsy that she was giving Wag some last-minute instructions. Oh, Wag, cried Betsy, kneeling down to pet him. We're going to have such a great time together. I'm going to share my pork chops with you tonight. Wag tried to hide behind Mrs. Pigglewiggle, flattening himself to the porch floor. Betsy didn't notice. She just thanked Mrs. Pigglewiggle and assured her that she would take the best care of Wag in the whole wide world. Mrs. Pigglewiggle turned hastily away and buried her nose in the large rose that was blooming on the porch railing. That's fine, dear. You two have a wonderful time. My goodness, isn't this a lovely climbing rose you ever saw? Sure, cried Betsy, tugging at Wag's leash. I'll bring him back on my way to school Monday morning. Thanks, Mrs. Picklewiggle. Wag trotted ahead of her all the way to her house. Betsy burst in the door, shouting, Mom, Wag's here. Wag politely offered Mrs. Appleby a paw. She shook it and said, I'm very, very glad to have you here, Wag. Betsy, dear, how would you and Wag like to have some 
milk and cookies. I baked your favorite oatmeal raisin. Wag, you can have this nice blue bowl to drink out of. Wag set his green satchel on the floor beside his dish. Betsy offered him a cookie, which he ate in three neat bites. Then he lapped up the milk from his bowl and waited patiently while Betsy wolfed down three or four more cookies. When Betsy had finished, Wag picked up his satchel in his own mouth. Then he began nudging Betsy towards the stairs with his cold, wet nose. Laughing, Betsy let herself be guided all the way upstairs and into the bathroom. Mrs. Appleby followed. When she looked in the bathroom, she stared in amazement. Wag had pushed Betsy's stool to the sink and was standing on it on his hind legs. His little green satchel sat on the rim of the sink. Wag snapped, opened the latch of the satchel with his paw, and took out a red toothbrush and a tube of toothpaste. He held the toothpaste steady with one paw and very carefully grasped the cap off with his teeth. After a few twists, the cap came off. Wag picked up the toothbrush in his mouth and held it next to the open toothpaste tube. With one paw, he pushed gently on the tube, and a perfect dab of toothpaste squeezed onto the brush. Then, clasping the toothbrush between his paws, he began to brush his sharp, white teeth. "'Look, Mom!' cried Betsy, clapping. "'How cute!' Mrs. Appleby watched with wide eyes. Every now and then, Wag spit delicately into the sink and then resumed his careful brushing." "'I didn't know dogs could spit,' said Betsy. "'Neither did I,' said Mrs. Appleby. "'You certainly are a thorough brusher, Wag.' "'Wag winked at her in the mirror. "'Mrs. Appleby winked back and went downstairs "'to call Mr. Appleby at work. "'When Wag had finished brushing, "'he packed everything back into his little green satchel, "'and then he looked expectantly at Betsy. "'He patted her toothbrush holder with his paw.' "'My turn, boy? Okay,' said Betsy. She reached for her toothbrush and scraped a tiny bit of toothpaste onto a bristle. Wag growled and shook his head. "'More?' asked Betsy. Wag gave a little nodding bark, as if to say, "'Yes, Betsy, squeeze out more toothpaste.' "'How's that?' she asked. She began to brush her teeth. At first, she only gave a few weak swipes, but Wag growled again and touched her arm with his paw.' Betsy thought this was adorable, and she brushed a little harder. The raisin popped out from between her teeth and went swirling down the drain. Betsy stared at it in surprise. She spit out more bits of food, disappearing down the drain. Ick, said Betsy. Wag looked as if he agreed. He raised his paw to Betsy's arm again, as if telling her to keep brushing. Betsy brushed until Wag took his paw down. Then she rinsed and spit. The water was clear, and in the mirror her teeth shone as her as white and clean. Wag wagged his tail and sniffed happily at Betsy with his little black nose. That night Betsy and her father had a fine time playing fetch with Wag. Wag sat up, rolling over, playing dead, jumping rope with Betsy, shook hands, and thoroughly enjoyed his entire dinner, especially Betsy's pork chop. Betsy was so excited to have Wag visit that she hardly touched her dinner. 
She didn't even have to be reminded to get ready to turn in for the night because of her mother's promise that Wag could sleep at the foot of her bed. After Betsy had put on her pajamas, she went downstairs to say goodnight to her mother and father and then ran up the stairs where Wag was waiting for her. Betsy hopped into bed and patted the foot of her bed for Wag. But Wag growled and growled under the bed. "'It's all right, boy,' said Betsy. "'My mother said you can sleep up here.' But Wag went to the bathroom door and whined. "'Oh, I know what you want, boy,' said Betsy. "'You have to brush your teeth.' Wag wagged his tail and smiled with doggy smile at Betsy. "'I never saw a dog with such white teeth,' said Betsy. "'Come on, let's go brush.' A short while later, Mr. Appleby poked his head into Betsy's room. Betsy and Wag were snuggled in bed, and the room had the crisp, minty toothpaste smell of fresh brushed teeth. Mr. Appleby breathed deeply. "'Ah,' he murmured, "'I guess I won't need that gas mask after all.' "'What did you say, Daddy?' asked Betsy sleepily. "'Nothing, sweetheart.' "'So,' he asked, "'how do you like having a dog to curl up with?' Betsy answered her father with a wide, gleaming smile. 3. The Insult Cure "'Yeah, well, you're a rhino-faced airhead!' Blake Branson's voice shattered the peace of the quiet afternoon, startling his mother, who was folding socks in the laundry room. The back door crashed shut, and Mrs. Benson heard Blake stomp inside, still shouting, "'And you smell bad, too!' Mrs. Benson glanced out the window and saw the retreating back of her son's best friend. "'Blake Benson, why were you yelling at Chucky Keystop? He looked like he was about to cry.' Red in the face and looking very defiant, Blake said, "'Chucky is just a big airhead, an old crybaby. I don't care if I ever play with him again. He's a dummy.' "'Why, Blake!' gasped Mrs. Benson, dropping the stock and dropping the socks and storming into the kitchen, where Blake was throwing cabinet doors open in search of a snack. "'It's not like you to say such horrid things to your friend. I hope you're going to apologize.' "'Why should I apologize to a crybaby?' retorted Blake. "'Everything I said was true. He is a crybaby, and he does have a nose like a rhino.' "'Well, that doesn't mean you should point it out,' said Mrs. Benson. "'But it's funny,' Blake protested. "'I didn't hear Chucky laughing,' said Mrs. Benson. "'You march up to your room, young man.' Blake sulked out of the kitchen and went up to his room, where the only thing he thought about was more funny things to say. In fact, he got out a piece of paper and began to write them down. By dinner time, the list had grown quite long. Blake's hand was tired from writing, but he felt a warm sense of accomplishment. He had come up with what he felt was some truly hilarious insults. He couldn't wait to try them out. He heard voices outside his, his bedroom window and looked out to see the three gray children walking down the street. "'Hey, you snaggletooth, eagle-beaked dimwits!' "'Blake Branson!' roared his father's voice behind him. Blake jumped and whirled around. Mr. Branson was standing in the doorway, looking very angry. "'Seems to me,' said Mr. Branson, through gritted teeth, "'that the dimwit is the one yelling the insults out the window at this unsuspecting passer-by.' Blake gulped. 
Mr. Benson went on. Your mother told me about what you did to Chucky Keystop. If you continue to say mean things, son, you won't have a single friend left in this whole school. Now come on downstairs and eat your dinner. Supper was a very quiet affair in the Branson household that night. Even though Blake's mother had made his favorite pot roast, Mrs. Branson was too upset to speak, Mr. Branson was too angry, and Blake was too busy thinking up new insults. After dinner, he went back to his room and added them to his list, which he then shoved under some books on his desk. Mrs. Branson found it there the next morning after Blake had left for school. She read, Four eyes, slop head, dimwit, duck feet, cow eyes, pig eyes, dog eyes, brace face, rake teeth, smelly head, rat face, spitty lips, snaggle tooth, mush mouth, dog breath, horse face, bird brain, bug eyes. Poor Mrs. Branson. She was more upset than ever. She went to the kitchen, poured herself a cup of tea, and sat staring at Blake's list. After a few minutes, she picked up the phone and dialed her friend, Mrs. Goodwin. Oh, Gertrude, I don't know what to do. Blake has developed the most awful mouth. He's always saying mean things to people, and just now I actually found a list of all the insults he dreamed up. You poor dear, clucked Mrs. Goodwin. I feel so sorry for you. Why, just last night I was telling Worthmont that Blake had been extremely insulting to our darling little children at school yesterday. He called our dear little Percival a, a hog face, and he called Prissy and Candace fat cow-eyed dummies. Mrs. Branson groaned. I'm so very, very sorry, Gertrude. I'll deal with Blake as soon as he comes home from school. I would appreciate that, Bernice, said Mrs. Goodwin empathetically. Percival was in tears over it, the poor little thing. It isn't his fault his nose turns up at the end. Of course, some people think upturned noses are the most attractive kind of noses, but I suppose little boys like Blake can't be expected to know that. No, I suppose not, Mrs. Branson sighed, thinking privately that Percival Goodwin's nose did look rather like a pig's snout, but still she told herself sternly that didn't excuse Blake saying so. She apologized once more to Mrs. Goodwin and hung up the phone. When Blake came home from school that afternoon, he said, Mrs. Moonface sent home a note for you, Mom. Blake, cried Mrs. Branson, I will not have you calling your teacher names. Mrs. Mooney is a very nice woman and a fine teacher. He sighed and unfolded the note. It said, Dear Mrs. Branson, I don't know what to think of Blake's behaving towards his classmates. Blake is a very good student, very kind at the beginning of the term, but now he says so many mean things that he is, he is alienating himself from the most of the class. I suggest that you call Mrs. Pigglewiggle. She has cured so many children of some of the worst habits. Let me know if I can be of further help. Sincerely, Elizabeth Mooney. Mrs. Branson put the note on the kitchen bulletin board. Then she sent Blake up to his room to do his homework. You are to stay in your room until your father comes home. This mean streak you have developed must end. Blake stalked off, muttering under his breath. 
old crab patch. What did you say? demanded his mother. Nothing, Mom, said Blake hastily, retreating to his room. As soon as he was gone, his mother called Mrs. Pigglewiggle. When Mrs. Pigglewiggle answered, Hello, in a very cheery voice, Mrs. Branson said, Oh, Mrs. Pigglewiggle, this is Blake's mother. Mrs. Pigglewiggle laughed merrily. Oh, hello, Mrs. Branson. I wondered if you'd be getting in touch. I've been hearing about Blake from the other children. Some of them apparently think he's quite funny, but only if he's making fun of someone else, of course. I gather he has developed quite a sharp tongue. He certainly has, said Mrs. Branson. I even got a note from his teacher today, and I won't tell you what he said about her. I really don't understand what has happened to him. He used to be such a sweet boy. Mrs. Pigglewiggle laughed again. Well, perhaps I can help. Tell Blake to stop here on his way home from school tomorrow to pick up a package. It will be rather heavy, but Blake is a strong boy. Don't bother to say anything to Blake about his mean remarks. After dinner tomorrow, let Blake open the package and read the instructions. I imagine you'll see good results by the end of the week. When Mr. Branson came home, he found his wife humming happily as she fixed dinner. Well, this is a welcome change, he said, as our smart-mouthed son mended his ways. Oh, no, quite the contrary, said Mrs. Branson. Placidly. In fact, he's worse than ever. But don't worry, Norman. Help is on the way. The next day, at breakfast, Mrs. Branson told Blake to stop by Mrs. Pigglewiggle's house after school and pick up a package. Sure, Mom, said Blake, running out the door. Mrs. Branson heard him yelling at Larry Gray. Hey, lizard lips, wait up! That afternoon, Blake came staggering in the back door, carrying a large package. Wow, this sure is heavy. I wanted to borrow Dick Thompson's wagon to haul this home, but he said, No way, Blake. You're just too mean. So I called him a rat-faced moron. Blake doubled over in laughter at his own wit. Mrs. Branson didn't laugh. She took the package and set it on the kitchen table. She was tempted to peek inside, but she didn't want to risk interfering with Mrs. Pigglewiggle's cure. But Blake noticed that dinner was served very early that evening. As soon as the plates were cleared, Mrs. Branson said, Now, let's see what's in the package from Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Mr. Branson carefully untied the heavy twine, unwrapped a very large stack of black paper with ragged edges, a fat pin marked Magic Glow-in-the-Dark Pin, and a note addressed to Blake from Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Dear Blake, write down every insult you can say each day before you go to bed at night. Good luck, said Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Cool, Blake shouted. He carried the paper and pen up to his room and put it on his desk. Then he took the first sheet of black ragged edge paper from the pile and wrote lizard lips with a special pen. The ink was white and faintly luminous. Wow, it glows, said Blake excitedly. Suddenly, the piece of paper flooded into the air. Blake shouted in surprise and watched as the paper floated up to the ceiling. It hovered there, above his bed, the words lizard lips glowing off the page. This is the coolest thing ever, Blake whispered in awe. 
He reached eagerly for another sheet of black paper. Rat-faced moron, he wrote. And to his delight, this paper, too, fluttered off the desk and hovered just below the ceiling. Before long, the ceiling over his head was covered with dozens of ragged-edged black pages, each of them emblazoned with a glowing white insult. The room was lit up by the luminous scrawls. Blake's father poked his head into the room. He caught sight of the fluttering papers and stared for a very long time, his eyes wide and thoughtful. "'Well, son,' he murmured, "'keep this up and you won't need to turn on any lights in this room.' Mr. Branson cleared his throat. <clears throat> I think that's enough writing for tonight, Blake. Time to get ready for bed. When he came into the kitchen, where his wife was finishing the dinner dishes, he said weakly, Bernice, I, I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. He described the floating black pages with their white words shining down on Blake's bed. It's like a milky way of insults. The next morning, Blake looked a little sleepy when he sat down to eat his breakfast, and he couldn't stop yawning. His father looked at Blake over the morning paper. Eat your breakfast, son. I'll give you a ride today. You look a little tired to walk to school. Blake could barely keep his eyes open in class. In fact, Mrs. Mooney had to prod him gently to wake him up twice. As Blake came slowly home from school, dragging his feet, he was almost too tired to yell mean things to Kitty Wheeling and Molly O'Toole when they ran, giggling past him. But Molly brushed his shoulder, and Blake yelled after them, "'Hey, watch where you're going, lame brains. Knock-kneed ugly old losers!' Kitty Wheeling yelled back at Blake, "'You're the big loser, falling asleep in class!' "'Yeah,' laughed Molly O'Toole." Blake trudged home, wolfed down his snack, and hurried up to his room. He was eager to write down the day's brilliant insults on the black magic paper. He filled several pages with all the things he remembered saying that day, and one by one they joined the other insults hovering above his bed. The light was so bright Blake had to squint a little, but still he went on writing with a magic pen. When he came to the end of the mean things he had said, he found the list he'd made earlier in the week and began to copy the insults from there onto the black pages. He looked steadily, he worked steadily until dinner time, completely ignoring his homework. After dinner, Mrs. Branson sent him back upstairs to do his math. Blake noticed with some satisfaction that he did not need to turn on his desk light. The glowing insults lit the whole room quite brightly. Mr. and Mrs. Branson came upstairs to see how Blake was getting on. There was a faint glow coming from the door of his room. Mr. Branson chuckled. Too bad this can't continue. Think of the savings on our utility bill. They went into Blake's room and found Blake squinting over his homework beneath a harsh white glow. The entire ceiling and part of the walls were covered with sheets of ragged-edged black paper. There were even papers stuck to the windows and the closet door, nasty remarks shining from each one of them with glaring light. Blake looked pale and pasty under the harsh light. He was rubbing his temples, and he looked sick and cross. "'Blake,' said his mother, 
Are you all right? You look terrible. I have a headache, Blake said. I'm not surprised, said his father. It's bright enough in here to go blind. He shook his head in disbelief. I hope you'll be able to sleep with all this words lighting up the room, Blake. Blake kissed his parents goodnight and crawled into bed. No matter how tightly he shut his eyes, the glowing ceiling kept him awake. He couldn't fall asleep, and the longer he squinted up at the ceiling, the more black, raggedy pieces of paper seemed to take on scary shapes. The next morning, Blake had dark circles under his eyes, and he was so tired from sleeping poorly with all the bright glowing light that he could barely eat his, his breakfast. He fell asleep in class three times. When Molly O'Toole poked him in the back to wake him up, he started to call her a baboon, but the thought of adding one more glowing remark to the collection on his ceiling made him clamp his hand over his mouth. After school, he fell asleep on the couch, and he was still sleeping there when his father got home from work. Mr. Branson shook him gently to wake him for dinner. Blake let out a yell and sat up, crying out, "'Don't let the raggedy papers get me, Dad!' "'Calm down, Blake. It's only a dream,' said Mr. Branson. He rubbed Blake's back a little. "'Sounds like a doozy. Want to tell me about it?' Blake began to cry. "'Please, Dad, my room scares me. It's so bright I can't sleep. I, I really, really don't like to read all those mean things on my ceiling. I'm afraid of all those black raggedy pieces of paper flying around.' Do I have to keep writing down mean things? Mr. Branson laughed. Only if you plan to keep saying them. Blake shuddered. No way, Dad. I don't know why I ever said them in the first place. They used to seem funny, but they don't anymore. I'm sorry I ever called anyone such awful things. In that case, let's see what we can do about that collection of yours, said Mr. Branson. You grab a garbage bag and I'll get the broom. When they walked into Blake's room, all the black raggedy pieces of paper had fallen to the floor. The white insults were only faintly glowing now, and some had completely disappeared. As they stuffed the last pieces of paper into the garbage bags, and Blake's father put the magic pin in his pocket to return to Mrs. Pigglewiggle, he said, Hey, maybe you can invite Chucky to spend the night tomorrow. Blake smiled happily up at his father as they dragged the full garbage bag out into the hall. Great idea, Dad, he said, except maybe the day after tomorrow. I've got a lot of sleep to catch up on.